0: This message by Mark Mullery titled Jesus, Our Access into God's Presence is made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. It was recorded during the second main session at our Worship God 2006 conference. Mark serves as Senior Pastor of Sovereign Grace Church of Fairfax, Virginia. Jeff served us incredibly last night. He informed us that God's eternal purpose is to dwell among a people a people that he has made his own and what what an extraordinary experience of the sweep of history simplified and clarified into five pictures that was an extraordinary experience and a clarifying experience Jeff was really answering the where question for us last night. Where has God chosen to dwell among his people? And these, these pictures provided spatial answers to the dwelling place of God among his people. The garden, the dwelling, the person, the people, and the city. Jeff was dealing with the where question last night. And as he got to the city, to the fifth one... Did not your hearts burn within you? As he read from Revelation 21, was there not passion and overwhelming anticipation of that place and that day? A city which contains no sin. And needs no temple. For God and the Lamb dwell there fully with the people they love. Maybe as you listened to Jeff last night and you pondered that fifth picture. Maybe you felt like a little kid. In the the days leading up to Christmas, that anticipation. Dad, today, can I have a present today? Can we open the presents today, Daddy? All those presents under the tree, "Can't can't we open them now? Why do we have to wait? Maybe you experienced some of that anticipation in your soul last night and then again this morning. Jeff Jeff drew our our attention to the where question. Last night Bob has asked me to work from a particular passage in Hebrews chapter 10 that not only deals with the where question, it also deals with the when question. This dad, when do we get to open the presence question. When do we get to go to heaven? In my family, at Christmas time, we have adopted the practice on Christmas Eve of opening one present. And my 10 year old daughter lives in great anticipation of Christmas Day, but also in great anticipation of Christmas Eve and that one present that's the precursor for all that is to come the next morning. When do we get to go to heaven? And as we experience that anticipation of that moment, we know that we're not in God's new city yet. We know that we're not in the new heavens and the new earth. We know that we're not in that city made of gold, clear as glass, yet. But does God provide a foretaste? Is there one present on Christmas Eve that he offers in advance so that we might sample so that our anticipation of the great day might only increase well Hebrews 10 19 to 22 answers that question for us so please open in your Bibles to the 10th chapter which we just heard recited so Skillfully and powerfully, and draw your attention. Well, before you draw your attention to verse 19, let us pray. Heavenly Father, open before us in our laps right now our words. Words. But these are not just any words. And these are not empty words. These words are not like the words in newspapers that we saw this morning. These words are not like words that we heard on the TV or over the radio. These are living words. These words are. Words that you have breathed out for us and to us. These are your words. These words, these words alone, these words are profitable. These words are given by you for a specific purpose. These words are intended not only to be understood, these words are intended to work amongst us and within us. These words are intended to reprove us, to correct us, to instruct us, and to train us for righteousness. We confess this morning we need to be trained for righteousness. Unrighteousness, that comes naturally to us. We need help when it comes to righteousness. And so we ask that as we look at these words, you would instruct and correct and reprove and train that we might be fully prepared for every good work to glorify your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. I posed a question a moment ago. When do we get... To go to heaven? This passage answers that question. This passage informs us that since we have Christ, we can go to heaven today. And you don't have to die to get there. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near. Let me seek to unpack those statements, that framework around which these verses are built, so that we can understand the privilege that we have to go to heaven today, to draw near to God today. Since we have confidence to enter, verse 19, put your eyes back on that verse for just a moment. Again, please. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us ponder confidence to enter what confidence to enter what? Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, what are these holy places? Where are these holy places? What's the address? How do we find these holy places? People have traveled the world looking for spiritual places, for places to encounter God, for portals to experience God. We're told here that it is possible to enter holy places. Where are they? Well, it's my joy to inform you these places, this is, this is not Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. This is not the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Neither is this your church building. Actually, if you'll just turn the page back to chapter 9, verse 24, you will find the location provided for you there. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Christ did not enter into the temple in Jerusalem, the copy of the holy places in heaven. He entered into the true holy place, not the shadow, not the copy. He entered into the holy places in heaven. They are holy places because they are the places where God, the Holy One, lives. It's His home. It's a holy place because the one who lives there is holy, and Christ entered in there to accomplish his priestly work. He remains there to this day. And we are informed by this passage of Holy Scripture, we are informed by the Holy Spirit of God that we have, that the believers have The believers of not only this original church to whom this was written, but the believers of every church in every place that calls upon the name of the Lord. Each believer, each of you who has called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you have confidence to enter the holy places. Why? Why do you have confidence? What is the basis for that confidence that you have to enter heaven, to enter the place where God lives, to come into God's home? On what basis can you enter? Back to verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by, what's it say? By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. This statement explains why you can have confidence to enter God's home. Earlier this year, I took my family to visit the White House. It was pretty cool. We got to visit the West Wing. We got to look inside the oval office we got to see the conference room where the cabinet meets and it was so easy i was amazed we walked up and all these guards with guns standing there and these fences and snipers up on the roof and all that i just said hey we want to go see where the president lives and hang out there for a little while they said great come on in just turn out the lights when you leave No, it didn't didn't quite work that way. We got there and they wouldn't let us in because the guy who works there who was going to bring us in was waiting at a different gate. And so there was this series of cell phone calls where we are trying to figure out where he is and he was trying to figure out where we are and we couldn't go in until he arrived. And when he arrived, we went to the gate. We filled out our papers and got our little passes And as long as we were with this guy, we were good to walk in. He was our ticket into the west wing of the White House. And in the same way, because he was there, we could have confidence to go in there. Because of Christ, you can have confidence to go into God's house. Christ makes possible your appearance in heaven we are told that there are two reasons for this by his blood and by the new and living way he opened for us how is it that the blood of Christ gets us into the holy places into heaven how is it that this accomplishes that for us Well, this was so wonderfully presented to us just moments ago by Ryan from chapter 9. The job of a priest was to offer sacrifices, bulls and goats and lambs, and they were offered to atone for sin, to make worshipers acceptable to God. And there were many priests, and there were many sacrifices. But we're told earlier in chapter 10 that these sacrifices didn't really do the trick, and that's why they had to keep being offered. The continual offerings, the repetitive and perpetual offerings, were a reminder That sin hadn't been dealt with in a permanent, in a decisive way. And then a new priest came. A different kind of priest. From the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. A priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ came... And when he offered his sacrifice, like the other priests, he offered blood to atone for sin. But it was a different kind of blood. He didn't offer the blood of bulls and goats. He didn't need bulls and goats to do his job. We're told he needed a body because the blood he was to offer was human blood. It was a human sacrifice that he was to make. He was to sacrifice, to offer himself. He was to give his life in exchange for the lives of sinners like you and me. His death opened a way. A way of access, a way of entry, a way into God's holy places, a way into a place, a a, a way that had never been opened before. It's a new and living way. It's new because this way did not exist previous to his sacrifice and it's living as long as he lives and intercedes for us. This is so important for us, especially when it comes to worship and corporate times of singing. D.A. Carson in his book, Worship by the Book, says it very simply this way. He says, Objectively, What brings us into the presence of God is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's a very helpful statement. What is it that brings us into the presence of God? Is it subjective or objective? Is it you? Is it the sound system? Is it the song selection? Is it the quality of the musicians? Is it the acoustics in the auditorium? Is it the passion of the people that are listening? No, it's none of those. Not listening, singing. It's, it's none of those things. Objectively, what brings us into the presence of God? Listen, if you, don't, if you don't get this right, you will live in a degree of misery trying to lead worship. And, worse than that, if you don't get this right, you will rob Jesus Christ of glory. We must get this right. Objectively, what brings us into the presence of God is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's the ticket in. That's the means of access. Those who come to Christ and who trust Him for the forgiveness of their sins have access, immediate access, access into God's presence, access into the holy places, the very dwelling and home of God, access 24 hours a day, access permanently, access that doesn't begin when you die. Amen. It begins now. It's available now it's a new and living way and the way is open. The curtain, this symbol as Jeff mentioned last night of the separation between God and man this barrier between the holy and awesome and just and righteous God and sinful humanity this curtain was torn apart. We're told it was torn as the very flesh of our Savior was torn. So that now we have confidence to enter the holy places. Not because you go to worship conferences. Not because you read your Bible this morning. Not because you're a member of your local church. But because of Christ. Those of you who lead worship... If I could, let me ask you a question. What are you trying to accomplish when the church gathers to sing? What's your goal? What's your job description? Is your goal to bring the church into God's presence? Thankfully, this language has, and and largely through Bob's leadership, this language is Has largely disappeared from our corporate experience, but there was a time when conversations about times of corporate singing often included phrases like, Well, it's time to enter into God's presence. We really entered in today, didn't we? Or, We never really entered in today, did we? (laughs) My goal is to lead people into God's presence. Oh, this new song just brings us into God's presence. Now, those statements all fall short of Hebrews 10. As Bob has said, there is only one person who brings us into God's presence, and it isn't the worship leader. That should be good news for all worship leaders. (laughs) Doesn't that lower the expectations just a little? Feel free to cheer. I mean, this is a happy moment if you're being delivered right now from that expectation. Oh my goodness. Listen, what brings us into God's presence is the blood of Jesus Christ And you have 24-hour access to God's presence. And it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how well the band plays. It doesn't matter how much feedback occurs from the sound system. It, It doesn't matter. The sound system does not bring you into God's presence. There is an objective means of entry. And it will never change just if you lead worship just ponder for a moment how you respond in moments when there's a train wreck on stage or when you're informed Sunday morning that your key musician is homesick and won't be arriving or when the band forgets the transition that you so skillfully led them into preparing <laughs> <laughs> Moments like that reveal your basis of your confidence. See, in moments like that, what happens in your soul? In moments like that, you want to run to Hebrews 10:19. We have confidence to enter by a new and living way, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your confidence in leading worship isn't found anywhere on your stage. He's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And He's not moving until He comes back to get you since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus that's the first since there's one more since I want to draw your attention to verse 21 look back there with me please and since we have a great priest over the house of God as though confidence in the blood of Christ in the new and living way were not enough this wise Pastor draws the attention of these church members to one other feature of their great Savior so that their confidence might be reinforced since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, we might just pause here and and ponder who needs a priest? There was no Spontaneous applause when I read that statement since we have a great priest over the house of God You probably didn't wake up this morning thinking Well, you know what I really need today I need a great priest Whew! do I need a priest today you may have been thinking I need a venti mocha Give me a triple shot, but you probably weren't thinking about your need for a priest. New Year's resolutions. Show of hands, how many New Year's resolutions this year? You said, number one, I, I, I must find a great priest this year somewhere. I just, I'm desperate for a priest. I've got, and a good one. I need a great one. I don't just need any priest. The reality is, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about priests. But it's worth pondering. For God informs you that you have a priest and that you have, in fact, a great priest. See, in the, in the sacrificial system, in the system that, that God instituted to deal with the problem of human sin, this, this problem that resulted in God withdrawing as His people were expelled from the garden... And those cherubim placed, protecting the presence of God. As God instituted this sacrificial system, He is, in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, He is seeking to deal graciously with the problem of human sin. He could deal with the problem of human sin through execution, but then there would be no people with whom to dwell. And because he's merciful, he doesn't do it that way. And so he creates this system to deal with the sins of his people through sacrifices. Priests were set in place in order to offer those sacrifices to atone for human sin. these priests functioned as go-betweens, as intermediaries, as mediators between the people of God and God himself. This all happened at the place that God chose. First, as we heard last night in the dwellings, it was a, a tent, a tabernacle in the wilderness. And then later it became a temple in Jerusalem. And out of the, that group of priests, these, these intermediaries who offered these sacrifices and worked inside this temple, there was one great priest. There was one identifiable priest who stood out among all the other priests. That was the high priest. And it was his job once a year to enter into the Holy of Holies, the holy place. And there to offer the key sacrifice. He got there by going through a curtain and got into a place where God's presence was manifest in a unique way on the earth. There he made an offering on his behalf and on behalf of all the people. And so, who needs a priest? Well, sinners need a priest. That's who needs a priest. And that's why we need a great priest, because we are great sinners. And Christ is that priest. In fact, this letter, really a sermon, I think, to the Hebrews. And Ryan's reading, I think, reveals the oratorical power of this uh, letter or this sermon to the Hebrews. This, I think, is a sermon written uh, written down and preserved for us, a sermon possibly written by a pastor who couldn't be with the congregation that he loved and cared for, and so he wrote his sermon, in effect, for them. This sermon, this letter to the Hebrews, is filled with the most detailed information we find anywhere in Scripture as to the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ and why exactly it is that he is a great priest. In chapter 7, we are informed that he is a holy priest, an innocent priest. You couldn't say that about any of the priests of Israel. He didn't have to deal with any of his own sin, unlike all the other priests of Israel. In chapter 8, we are informed that he is not only a better priest, but as a priest, he makes a better covenant. He mediates a better covenant. The covenant... That he will mediate this new covenant will be a covenant that will do an internal work in his people. God's law will be written on their hearts and not only will there be an internal work but there will be a complete dealing with sin. Their sins will be forgiven and remembered no more. He's a better priest because he mediates a better covenant. Chapter 9, we're informed that he serves in a better tent. As I referred to you just a, a few moments ago in verse 24, he doesn't serve in the tent made with human hands. He serves in the true tent. The true tabernacle, the true temple, the place where God lives, where He carried out His mediatorial priestly work wasn't in a tent or a temple made with human hands. It was in the place that God made, in the place where God lives. And so He is a great priest because of the location where He accomplished His priestly duties. And then in chapter 10 we are informed that when He had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down. Listen, priests don't sit down when they're working. If your dad's a priest, he's in the temple in Jerusalem doing his work, don't call him on the cell phone, he's not answering. He's busy, there's no chairs in there, there's no break room. It's, it's stand up and offer sacrifices and deal with the problem of sin as long as you're on duty. And when Jesus had offered His sacrifice for sin, He sat down. That's why He's a great priest. He's not sitting down waiting for the next shift. He's done. It's over. He has offered once for all the sacrifice, a single sacrifice for sins he offered himself. he's a great priest. He doesn't just meet you in a temple in Jerusalem or in Gaithersburg or in Orlando or somewhere else He he brings you into his temple he is seated at the right hand of the Holy One. He brings you into the very home, the very presence of God himself. That's why he's a great priest. No priest in Israel ever went into this holy place. Once a year, the high priest in Israel got to go into a holy place made with human hands. But Jesus Christ lives forever in the holy place that is heaven. That's why he is a great priest. God desires to dwell with his people. Honor this with me for just a moment. We can enter God's presence because it's God's eternal purpose to have a people with whom He can dwell. We can enter God's presence because God's presence was revealed in a person and God dwelt in that person. God is that person, the God man, Jesus Christ. But just ponder this with me for a moment. God who dwells with his people makes it possible for us to dwell with him because one day he chose not to dwell with his son. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Ponder that at the cross, the Son of God was abandoned by the Father. Ponder that the reason you can come into heaven today is because one day on a cross outside Jerusalem, the Son of God who had dwelt from eternity past in perfect fellowship with His Father was pushed away and rejected. It was the rejection of the Beloved Son that makes possible your dwelling with God and His with you. Let every experience With God and awareness of dwelling with God remind us that there was a day when the one who deserved always to be with God was separated from God so that we could be brought near. Why is Christ a great priest? Because he was willing to be separated from God's presence so that you could dwell there forever. Who else is like that? And this great priest, he gives us confidence, confidence to enter the holy places. So we've seen the two senses in this passage. Since we have confidence to enter... Since we have a great priest, now it's time for application. Verse 22 is the tipping point in this book. It tilts this book away from proclamations and declarations about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the book from here forward begins to orient itself more around exhortations and response. Look carefully with me at verse 22. Having Christ as our sacrifice and high priest, verse 22 now informs us of how we must respond. Do you want to be a doer of the word? Here is the way that we must respond to these wonderful truths. Let us draw near. Here's how we respond. Since we have a great priest, since there is a new and living way, since we have confidence to enter, what must we do? How shall we respond? Here's how we shall respond. Let us draw near. Four words. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. Having been cleansed by Jesus Christ having been transformed and now become recipients of the new covenant what shall we do here's what we must do we must draw near now this is this is priestly language this is temple language. And so you need to understand what these words mean. What does it mean to draw near? If you think about your your life today, what does it look like to draw near? What does it look like to draw near to God at a worship conference? What does it look like to draw near to God at a meal? What does it look like to draw near to God on a drive home? What does it look like to draw near to God while at work next week or while leading worship next Uh, Time you have the chance to do that, next Sunday or whenever that is. What does it mean to draw near? Well, you must first think of a priest and how a priest draws near. When a priest would draw near to God, that's language for coming in the temple with a sacrifice. It's coming, dealing with the problem of sin. It's coming to worship. Remember, the whole sacrificial system was a system of worship. It was not only a way of dealing with the problem of sin, but it was a way of positioning God's people to do and be what they were made for. They were made to be worshippers. We were made to know and dwell with and worship and love God. That's the highest possible good for any human being. And so a priest drawing near would be drawing near to deal with the problem of sin, drawing near in order to worship and as an expression of worship and not by himself. Priests didn't work by themselves in the temple. They were part of a covenant community. They would draw near as part of a community. There were not only other priests with whom they would be serving, there were also other people that they were there representing. They were part of a nation. They were part of a chosen people. They were part of a treasured possession. And so they didn't simply draw near as isolated individuals. They drew near as part of a covenant community. Drawing near to worship. Drawing near in the context of sin being dealt with. Drawing near as part of a... A people and drawing near in the place where God had chosen to manifest his presence. Drawing near in the place where he was revealing himself in unique and powerful ways on the earth. First in the tabernacle, the, the tent in the wilderness, and then in the temple in Jerusalem. And so when we think about drawing near, We remember that we don't have this whole group of human intermediaries, human mediators as the Israelites did. Your pastors are not your mediators in the way that priests were mediators under the old covenant. We draw near to God as a nation of priests. You are a nation of priests. You are a royal priesthood, which means that as you draw near, as you enter these holy places, you draw near just as these priests did as an expression of worship. You draw near as a part of a covenant community. And you draw near dealing with the problem of sin. That's why you draw near by the blood of Jesus. You dare not draw near apart from the blood of Jesus. And you are to draw near... And to draw near now. If if you think that you get to go to heaven when you die, you're partly right. If you've trusted in Christ, you do. But you don't have to wait for that. This passage informs us that God... I think we're, we're often aware of the presence of the Spirit on earth and the sending of the Spirit and the wonderful... Uh, the intense privilege of living this side of Pentecost in the outpouring of the Spirit of God. But this passage orients us in the other direction without denying the reality of the presence of the Spirit poured out on earth and the experiences that we have that we delight in and treasure that reveal the, the manifestations of the presence of God. At the same time, this passage orients us upward into heaven and tells us and informs us that in anticipation of the last day, when we will be with Him in resurrected bodies in His new city, in anticipation of that day, right now, we have access into the throne room of God. Right now, today. You you may not be able to see it. You may not know what it smells like. You may not be able to see it with your eyes or hear the sounds with your ears. But by faith, we can draw near. We are invited and welcomed into God's presence. It's not simply an offer for later. This is a, It's a little hard to get our minds around this, isn't it? I mean, you can't, you can't go to a travel magazine and book a tour to heaven. At least those who do, they don't come back to show slides and stuff. <laughs> but let this truth arrest you. you. You can be in two places at once. You really can. You can draw near. You can enter holy places now, while you're still here, in anticipation of that great and last day. Listen, no priest in Israel ever got to do this. You get to do something nobody in the Old Testament ever got to do. What a privilege to be part of a new covenant. We're not talking about drawing near to a temple, drawing near to a building. We're talking about heaven. God intends for you to visit heaven today and repeatedly for the rest of your life. Since we have Christ, let's go to heaven. Let's go there now. Let's keep going there the rest of our lives. Let's get used to being there in anticipation of being there forever. See, this is is helpful information, again, because our senses don't serve us. If If you seek to understand this subjectively, you will be led into trouble. Faith is required. Faith in the objective and finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why chapter 11 is all about faith. It requires faith to draw near to God. Let me try and flesh this out for you. in Just just a few categories of what this looks like in, in real life. First of all, in private. What does it look like to draw near to God in private? Well, when you read God's word, you're drawing near to God. If you do it by faith. Singing. Praying. These are means of drawing near to God. Do you remember Nehemiah when the king said, Hey, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? This is... This is sadness I see on your face. Nehemiah says, I prayed and then I spoke. You don't have to be in your quiet time to draw near. You can draw near any time. It's pursuing communion with God. And you can do that at work, in your car, during a conflict. It's a great time to do it. While you're leading worship, during rehearsal, while evaluating how the Sunday meeting went. It's pursuing communion with God. You do that privately. We also do that publicly as part of the church. There are corporate expressions of drawing near to God. There are corporate experiences of entering the holy places. When we gather on the Lord's Day for preaching, for singing, for praying, not simply limited to the Lord's Day, but that being the primary time for most of us that we are gathering as we gather With the church, we are gathering to draw near to God. Here's a job description for you as a worship leader. It's to draw near to God personally, to remind the church of the privilege of drawing near through Christ, and then to lead them in doing that through singing. When your church gathers on the Lord's Day... God is present to bless in wonderful and unique ways, is he not? You may have wonderful experiences on the Lord's Day or at times like this morning when we gather for singing, for the preaching of God's Word. Personally, I love those subjective experiences of God's presence. I pray for more of them. I delight in them. I hope you do too. But the truth of Scripture, as I've said, is that no worship leader can bring a people into God's presence. Christ has already done that. And this is so important so that when you evaluate what happened, you evaluate by asking the right questions. You see, subjectivity is an ever-present danger for all of us. And my musical friends, those with functioning right brains inform me that subjectivity is a particular temptation to them i can't speak to that i'm taking them at their word but i know for me personally subjectivity is an issue for me as well how do you evaluate worship objectively how do you evaluate what happens on sunday mornings objectively questions like did we enter in did we get from the outer court to the inner court Did you feel God's presence as strongly this week as last week? Those kinds of questions will not serve you. Ground your evaluation in the objective truth of Scripture. Instead of, did we enter in? How about, did we draw near through faith in Christ? How about, did we help the church draw near through songs that feature the work of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ? Did the exhortation remind people of the basis on which we're drawing near? Did the rehearsal position us to be able to avoid disserving the church so that they can be primarily aware of drawing near through Christ? Uh, It's important to evaluate things like transitions and rehearsals and things of that nature, song selection and the way songs connect together and so on, but the goal remember isn't to obtain a subjective experience the goal is to by faith draw near it's to enter the holy places and we enter by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he has opened for us see this is a this is a this is an imperative This is not a suggestion. Let us draw near is an imperative statement. The command here isn't let us feel God's presence. The command here is let us draw near. Through the objective and finished work of Jesus Christ. This command to draw near is grounded in the finished work of our Savior. One of the things that I love that happens sometimes in our church is that during certain songs there can be this spontaneous cheering and clapping. It's almost It almost feels like I'm at a, a baseball game or something like that. Now, it, it's not that that I love so much as it's when it occurs that I love. Because... Typically, when that occurs in our church, it's not when the music is reaching a crescendo crescendo and bringing us to a particularly emotional experience. If you come and visit us, you may have this experience. Typically, that spontaneous cheering and clapping occurs driven not by the feel of the music, but by the content of the songs. It's when Jesus Christ is proclaimed as crucified and risen and sufficient. But our church goes crazy. And I love being a part of that. And as a pastor, I think that's success. As a worship leader, I hope our worship leader experiences a sense of, Of God's pleasure in that moment, because it means that our church is drawing near to God by the objective and finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, we're full of problems. We're full of sins. We are weak and frail. We are by no means a perfect church, but that is a unique and distinct evidence of grace that gives me as a pastor particular delight. Christ is your access to God's presence. He is your access to God's presence all the time, no matter how you feel. Pastors, worship leaders, people on worship teams, people in music ministry, Question for evaluation. Are you equipping yourselves and your leaders to evaluate times of singing objectively? Are your evaluations objective in nature and featuring the finished work of Jesus Christ and its proclamation through scripture, through song, and through exhortation? That's the place to start. When will we experience God's presence in heaven? When do we get to go to heaven? It's not just when you die. It's not just at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. It's now. 24 hour access through the blood of a great priest. And let me just add, the idea of drawing near shouldn't be limited to seemingly religious experiences of having your devotions or being together in a corporate time for worship. It's, it's really all of life. The people in chapter 11, you can read it on your own, you're probably familiar with it, they are commended for drawing near to God. But the, the statements made about them in chapter 11 aren't about their prayers or their devotions or their singing. It's about the way they lived. See, drawing near to God is not limited to private devotions and corporate gatherings. Drawing near to God is coming to God in faith and bringing all of our lives to Him so that He informs and directs and leads all of our lives. Just like worship is more than singing, drawing near to God is is more than praying or more than singing or more than what occurs in private or public devotions. Because you have Christ and you have Him all the time. And since you have Christ, since we have Christ, let us draw near to God and let us do it today. turns out You really can be in two places at once. God has invited you while you remain on the earth to be present in His home with Him as much as you'd like, as frequently as you'd like. You'll never wear out your welcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do long for the day when your Son returns and sets up his kingdom, and we are raised with new resurrection bodies, living sinless lives. In deathless bodies, in your presence forever. Our hearts long for that day. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Until that day, how can we thank you for the invitation to draw near? How can we thank you for the invitation to enter the holy places, the place where you live? I pray, because of your word and because of your son, you will find us increasingly drawing near to you. And I pray that our churches. Will increasingly be churches that are founded upon the objective and finished work of Jesus Christ, our great priest, the priest who meets our need. I pray for pastors and worship leaders who right now are aware of work to do, who right now are concerned, who right now are even perhaps struggling with condemnation. I pray for these good folks seated before me right now. I pray they will draw near. They don't need to wait for lunch. Thank you. There's access right now. Holy Father, thank you for abandoning your son on the cross refusing to dwell with him as he bore our sins so that we could dwell with you now, today, in heaven, through his blood, by his finished work, today, tonight, tomorrow, on the day of our death, on the day after our death, and forever. Here are thanks for a great priest. Hear our love and adoration for the priest that we need, who offered the blood that we needed, who paid the price that had to be paid so that we could draw near. Hear our grateful hearts. Jesus Christ, how we love you! Amen. You've been listening to a message by Mark Mullery, which was given at our Worship God two thousand six conference and has been made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. Sovereign Grace is primarily devoted to planning and caring for churches. We also hold conferences, train leaders, and publish books, music, and audio and video messages. For more information, visit www.sovereigngraceministries.org or call us at three oh one. Three three zero seven four hundred.